As most of you know, when I was growing up, my father owned a television and appliance store. And as soon as I was big enough to hold the other end of a television, I was the pickup and delivery guy. If you bought a refrigerator or washing machine dryer from my dad, I was the one who delivered it and hooked it up. If you bought a TV from us, I was the one who hooked it up. I was the one who got it to your house. I was the one who moved your old TV out of the way. I worked for my dad all the way through high school until I left for college. Every now and then, my dad and I would be walking through the store. My dad would point to the store and he would say, son, one day this will all be yours. And inside, I would die a little. The very idea that I would spend the rest of my life opening that store at 9 in the morning and closing it at 9 at night, six days a week, made me crawl in a hole and die. That wasn't my calling. That wasn't my gifting. And finally, when I told my dad I was called to the ministry, I was released from that inheritance. And one day, this will all be yours. But what if you don't want it? <laughs> I imagine sometimes that's how Timothy felt when Paul, his father in the ministry, would talk about Timothy's future as being an apostle, a church planter, and he would say to Timothy, one day, son, all of my ministry will be yours. And Timothy would say, but you're in jail. And Paul would look back and say, yeah, ain't it grand? You get a little piece of this, still in the first chapter of 2 Timothy. Wherever you are, join us as we read this passage together. It's in chapter 1, we're going to pick up with verse 8. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in the sufferings of the gospel, relying on the power of God. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Now, this has now been made more evident through the appearance of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and who has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, a teacher. And that is why I suffer these things. But I'm not ashamed because I know in whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. So hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you've heard from me and the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know all of those in the province of Asia who have deserted me and concluding Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesphorus because he refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he diligently searched for me and found me. May the Lord grant that he obtained mercy from him on that day. You know very well how he ministered in Ephesus. 
For I'm not ashamed because I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard that which has been entrusted to me until that day. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. In a world that despises your gospel and makes fun of your name, sometimes we want to draw back. Sometimes, well, we won't say that we don't know you. We just won't speak up real loudly that we do. We pray more and more after this moment that we will be more like Paul never ashamed of the gospel, confident in the one in whom we have believed. And we pray this in your name. Amen. You know, sometimes being the child of a famous father is hard. Everybody in Huntsville, Alabama knew my dad. In fact, my brother and I used to joke that our real name was John Glenson because everybody who met us said, hey, aren't you John Glenson? Nobody knew us as Mike. Nobody knew us as Mitch. We were just darn Glenn's son. There were some advantages to that, but there were some real disadvantages to it. Everybody knew who we were, so everybody would rat us out. My dad knew every move we made. And you know, it had to be that way some for Timothy. It's hard to have a famous father. I mean, everybody knew Paul. Everybody in the Christian church knew Paul. Everybody in Jerusalem knew Paul. Everybody in the Roman Empire knew Paul. And now Paul was in jail. What was Timothy supposed to do with that? How was he supposed to explain to people some of whom have the same uh, silly notion that you and I do, that once we start following Christ, everything just works out for us. You don't have to look hard for a parking place. You always get good checkups at the dentist, all because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul wants to disabuse Timothy of that notion it will work out, just not the way you plan. Yes, I'm in jail, but I'm not in jail because I did anything wrong. I'm in jail because I did it right. So, Timothy, are you ashamed of me? Are you ashamed of the gospel that I preach? I don't know why in the first chapter of this letter, Paul would ask Timothy such a question unless Paul had gotten some kind of hint that maybe one of the reasons that Timothy wasn't as strong as Paul wanted him to be, Timothy wasn't as bold as he needed to be to lead the church in Ephesus was because he didn't know what to do with the legacy of Paul's ministry. Here's Paul dramatically called at Damascus, performing miracles, preaching in every city of the empire. And now, instead of being lifted up by the church, he's attacked. 
And the enemies say of Paul, huh, must not be much of a prophet. He's in jail. God must not think much of him. He's in jail. So what does Timothy do with that? Does he mention Paul's name a little less? Is he slow to defend Paul when Paul is attacked? Paul says, be careful because it's not me that you're ashamed of. It's the gospel. You see, I'm in prison, Paul says, not because I did anything wrong, but because I did everything right. You see, the world has a problem with the gospel. The world doesn't know how to answer it. And the world doesn't like that there is a king of kings and lord of lords who owns all of creation and holds creation accountable to his will, to his teachings. So the world fights back. And when the world doesn't know what to do with you, when they cannot discredit you in somehow, or they can't out-argue you in some way, then they will put you in jail. They will lock you up. They will attack you. Now, all of, you know, it's not always iron bars, but they'll put you in jail just the same. And Jesus reminds us, when this happens, rejoice. Rejoice. Why? Because the world knows you're on Jesus' side. The world recognizes that you are one of his. The world knows who you are. And when the world can't shut you up and they don't know what else to do with you, they'll put you in jail. They'll push you to the side. So Paul says to Timothy, I'm here because I preach the gospel faithfully and the world doesn't know what to do with me. The world doesn't know how to answer. Did you think that once you started following Jesus that everything would work out? Did you think that once you became a disciple that the world would just step back and let you pass? How does the old uh, hymn say it? Uh, must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to claim the prize and sailed through bloody seas? No. If you follow the gospel faithfully, you're going to have trouble. You're going to suffer. Jesus modeled that for us. Jesus promised it to us. At the end of John 16, Jesus gives his disciples this, these words. In the world, you will have trouble. But be courageous. I've overcome the world. Now, all of us know this. Listen, when you are living with the world and you are going with the flow, as they say, then everything in the world is flowing with you. When you repent and say, I'm going to follow Christ, 
You're not flowing with the current anymore. You are walking into the current. Everything that was flowing with you is now flowing at you. And it gets hard. You may lose friendships because they think you are too conservative. You are too rigorous. You're too uptight in your faith. And you need to be more open-minded to the world. It will cost you. Suffering is part of it. Paul wrote in another letter, Romans, that he had learned to rejoice in his suffering. Why? We rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces endurance. And we know that endurance produces good character. And we know that good character, strong character, produces hope. What hope? Romans 8. I don't even want to bring up the sufferings of this world, Paul writes, because they are not worth being mentioned when we compare them to the glory that will one day be revealed to us. I want to learn to suffer, Paul says, like Jesus did. It's in Philippians 3, where he says, I want to know Jesus in his resurrection, but that's not where he he ends. You would think that'd be the end of it. It's not. It's the first part of that sentence. I want to know him in his resurrection. I want to join him in the fellowship of his suffering. Even the cross, so that I may one day join him in eternal life. I want to join him in that suffering. You know what Paul is saying? Do you you get this? Paul is saying, being with Christ is the best moment in my life. There's nothing that compares to it. I don't care where I am or what my situation is. If I'm in the jail in Philippi and Silas and I are praising God and God hears our prayers and visits us in that moment to the point where the jail can't hold the presence of God and blows that jail open from the inside out. Paul says, where would you rather be? Would you rather be at home watching late night television or would you rather be in a worship service where God is blowing doors open? I want to love like Jesus loved the world. I want my preaching to be that passionate, that loving, so that I will endure the suffering that love requires to preach like that. I want to love the world the same way Jesus did. And that hurts. That caused something. That's what Paul wanted for himself. That's what Paul wanted for Timothy. You've seen this in me. You've seen it in your grandmother. You've seen it in your mother. You've seen it in countless other witnesses. What loving Christ 
cost, what loving the world for the sake of Christ cost. You know what it takes. So hold on to it. This love of the world that Christ has placed in you, this love of Christ that now lives in you, this love for the world that Christ won't let you alone with, hold on to that. And don't drop it when things get hard. So he asked Paul, Paul asked Timothy, can you hold on to this? Can you hold on like I held on and pass it to the next generation? Or are you going to drop it when the road gets hard, when the waves get high? Can you hold on to what you know? I know, Paul said. Yeah, I've had it revealed to me, but I have field tested it. I've seen what Jesus will do when I follow him faithfully. So, Timothy, can you take the faith of your grandmother? Can you take the faith of your mother? Can you take my faith, Paul says, and make it your own? Can you hold on to it? And what about you? You know, in the riots on the West Coast, they're burning Bibles. Can you love the world as Christ loved the world, enduring the suffering for the prize that is before us? Do you know that? Well, how can you know, Mike? That's always the question that's asked. How can I know if I'm really a believer? Same way you know anything. Somebody tells you. Did you know George Washington? No, somebody told you he was the first president. Then you validated it for yourself. Same way. Someone would tell you, hey, I know a shortcut to the grocery store. And they'll say, go here and turn here and go this way. And you'll, you'll take 10 minutes off the trip. Then you drive it for yourself and you say, wow, I saved a lot of time. See, somebody told you. Then you validated it. Then you believe and somewhere, somehow, some way, somebody told you about the love of Christ. Now, you have validated it in your own living. So here's my question. Can you hold on to it when things get hard? In the world, you're going to have suffering. Jesus promised it, but be courageous, he said. I've overcome the world. Let's pray together. May we leave this moment confident as Paul and able, able to endure the suffering for the sake of the cross. Confident in the one in whom we have believed, knowing that you're able to hold everything until the day that you return. Find us faithful now to you, O Lord, even in this moment as you were faithful to us. And we pray this in your name. So, young Timothy, same question. Do you know 
in whom you have believed? Do you know the one or do you just know about him? There is a lot of difference between the two things. Do you know Jesus or you just know about him? If you want to know him, would you let us know that? Just text CONNECT to 623-623. We'll be in touch with you as soon as we can. I promise. If you want to know more about Brentwood Baptist Church, same thing. CONNECT to 623-623. But if you know, can you hold on even when it gets a little rough? Can you hold on to what's been entrusted to you? I pray so. I pray you will with great confidence and hope for our future. Thanks for being with us today. We'll see you next time.